so everyone out calendar, we now enter the dystopian world of 2020, as, as the home of football has been deserted, and we now deliver this week's post-game spray. Welcome, boys. Um, I'll talk about some departures this week. Unfortunately, we don't have Fez in, but we do have to win. We do have some exclusive access to the Channel 7 game. We're inside an AFL hub with Matty Durbin up on the Gold Coast. How are you, Durb? Yeah, good tickets. It's uh, yeah, good to be with you. Uh, shame I can't be back in Melbourne, but uh, nonetheless, up here in Gold Coast, it's uh, better off uh, being there than down well, here. The question is, Durb, are you inside any hubs up in the hub? <laughs> Mate, this is the hub. <laughs> <laughs> Straight back. Nice, nice. We'll get on to that later. Let's get straight into this week's review of the games. Uh, Thursday night, uh, Frank's Blues took on the Saints. Unfortunately, got done. Would you like to kick us off like you always do? Is nah, oh, it's Carlton, so Frank kicks us off this week. <laughs> no, so I think it was pretty much what what was expected. I said last week we'd probably get a touch up from the Saints, and we did. Especially in the first quarter, they jumped us again. Another slow start from us, but yeah, I think it was. Saints are a good side at the moment, playing some good footy, and we we went up to it, and I think it was pretty pretty much to be expected. Um, so yeah, I thought uh, Jack Steele was outstanding for the Saints. He's been uh, received a bit of a uh, few pats on the back this week for his job on Crips, but I think the really good defenders or oh, taggers get the ball the other way. I think Ling when he was up and going, Corns did it a bit, but Steele was very good getting the footy and hurting. His opponent the other way, so well done to him. One of the Saints, I think, if they were playing most of the year at Marvel, they'd definitely be a final side because they look really, really slick under that roof. But unfortunately for them and all the other Victorian teams, they're away now. But the Saints have been pretty good so far. I wouldn't buy too much in to St Kilda. I'm not saying they're not a great side, but we've seen it all before where they do this. And I think last year, after five rounds, they're in the four and it can go pretty quickly. But yeah, like you said, you never know, it's 2020, so uh, move on. Sorry, Frank. One uh, one, one, another bloke from St Kilda who's been really good this year, flies under the radar, a bit of a no-namer, but Callum Wilkie had, was absolutely everywhere in the first half. I think he nearly had 20 touches, but bloke, mature age pick-up for them who's really coming into his own this year, so um, he's been really important for him. Just wanted to give him a mention. Yeah, he gets the, the inset marks, but he also uses the footy really well with his left hoof, so yeah, Wilkie also noted very good player. Mm. Uh, moving to Friday night, uh, Pies took on the Bombers. Bombers uh, started slow and then got the job done. Uh, thoughts on that game? Oh, you're not giving us any uh, Pies feedback, mate. The, oh, uh, it would be there. They were up and going, the flag Pies, as you call them. But, uh, geez, the wheels are just falling off down there at uh, down at the Holden Centre or whatever it's called now, Lex Centre or wherever it is. The wheels are off, three goals up, and then did not fire a shot again after quarter time. Did it against the Tigers, flew out of the box and then shit the bed and they've done it again. But credit to the Bombers, Stringer awesome, Shield very good. Uh, I really like Ridley's work across half-back, thought he was excellent. But the pressure, the intensity that the Bombers brought and the want to move the footy and attack. I think if you, we've spoken about it a few times in this podcast over the journey, that if you move the ball slowly against the Pies, they're going to defend and defend really well. But if you can put pressure on their defence, move it really quickly, they're definitely vulnerable back there. So well done to the Bombers. They're 3-1 and one with the game in hand, looking pretty good. Uh, you did. We have talked a fair bit about Gary Ablett and Jack Stephen eating a fair few donuts. If uh, 
like where this is going. If, he, if anyone was able to see Jake Stringer on Friday night just uh, sporting the pot belly in the red and white, uh, in the red and black sash, sorry, he was just uh, a bit of flaky cop from the commentators, but I reckon it's fine, especially with a couple of physiques here. We have a post game spray. Um, if you're playing good footy, who cares how you do it? Didn't well, it didn't seem to impact him too much, Penny, so. Mm. Bruce was perving on him, and I have noticed still <laughs> Bruce pointed out his tummy, Bruce <laughs> which is a little bit uh, left to feel, but doesn't really matter what you're showing in the jumper department. It just matters what you're producing. And unfortunately for Jakey Stringer, he's out with the uh, famous syndesmosis for a few months, but was excellent and a major contributor into their victory on Friday night. You say... Go, you sorry, Jeff. Yeah, I was just going to say, you look at Essendon, um, you know, do we now take up... They'll, you know, take notice of them now. They were half a metre in Liam Jones's head from uh, being undefeated. Um, you know, do we really need to, you know, are they the real deal? Um, or do we need to see more out of them going forward? Yeah, I think that they were really good on Friday night and the Pies were considered uh, maybe the yardstick in the competition and you can only beat who's in front of you. So, good win to them. They were pretty ordinary against the Blues and did go down by a point, but they only lost one game and have lost one game by a point. So, haven't done they haven't done too much wrong so far, the Dons. So, uh, yeah, good luck to them. But I think their forward line still got a question mark over them. And now with Stringer out, it's a further question mark. So they're really going to need Danaher back and some other, and which is a big ask. Joey. And some other avenues to goal. Yeah. I think Sean McKernan. Yeah, <laughs> Step up. I think Sean McKernan's a long term answer, unfortunately. Uh, last thing on this game, I was a two weeks watching Collingwood. GWS did it as well. Collingwood allowed that 30 metre kick. Not necessarily inboard, but that 30 metre kick that goes towards the centre of the ground or on the edge of the square, um, parallel kind of way. Uh, like you said, if they move it slow, they can defend that. But I think it's there's no questions over Collingwood's defence in the back half, but it's I think when Collingwood don't have the ball, how they defend that way is what's the main uh, kind of question under Collingwood. Yeah, you're watching pretty closely, mate, so we'll take that on board. Uh, move to another game. Uh, West Coast coming back to somewhat form against the Swans. Would you like to kick us off, Frank? Yeah, I reckon just a step in the right direction for the Coasters. Uh, wouldn't want to play them over the next month or so. I reckon they're about to get their form back. Blokes like Yo and Darling look good on the weekend. Um, and if they, those blokes get going, and then you've got Tim Kelly... Luke Shuey in there as well. I think when all those guys get going, they're going to be hard to stop, especially going back to Perth in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think the teams that have played them already have gone out of jail a little bit. Uh, completely agree. I think this win was crucial in them getting sort of back, nearly back to 50-50 with a home stretch ahead. Uh, Frank did mention Shuey, though. He got injured on the weekend, so I don't know the length of that injury, but uh, that could be crucial to them. But... Yeah, as, as Frank said, now with the home stretch, they're going to be pretty hot, I think. Haven't lost many games in Perth, either at Subiaco or uh, Optus Stadium now. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a good sign for them getting that win on the board. And as Frank mentioned, Darling getting back involved. And, and Kennedy was good two weeks ago and, and still had some shots on goal. So I think Kennedy and Darling hold the keys to them in the forward line also. And I guess um, from Sydney's point of view, they didn't have a rec- recognised Ruckman um, for him, which was which was going to make it hard against you know West Coast traditionally tall side, but I think we're seeing early from Sydney they're a really honest side, but they just get um, will keep getting outclassed um, each week. So I guess I'm not really sure what their what their ceiling is this year. This one, so 
it'll be interesting to see what Longmire sort of comes up with you know, throughout the year. And Naismith was obviously a big blow to them. I think I don't, Sinclair was only a short term injury. Yeah, Sinclair hyperextended his knee a couple yeah. of weeks. I think if he's not, I think he's listed for round seven, so one more week out. But you know, so they're stuck with little bigger Lear and Lear in the ruck. Yeah, yeah. Lear and McQueen aren't going to get the job done. So especially um, against Nadnui, who just put yeah. it down Yo and Kelly's throat all day. There's de- as, as Dirk said though, they are honest, but they've got some major deficiencies. No recognised key forward without Franklin and, and Reed, and also no Ruckman without Sinclair and Mason. So as most sides would, they're struggling without that personnel being out of the side. Uh, moving down to the cattery, down the highway, uh, Wiz, your cats took on Gold Coast. Suns, I thought, put up a good fight, but Geelong was too classy in the end. Yeah, it was big night down there, obviously, with Selwood's 300th and Ablett's 350th. It was very much soured, however, by the injury to Rao. I think every football supporter was pretty devastated to see him go. So uh, I, I'm actually sort of glad to see the Suns have gone down the surgery path, I think, for the long-term health of, of Rao. That's a good option. But not good to see him out of, the, out of the game for that long. But back to the game, uh, the Cats started pretty well. But good to see. We spoke about it's going to be interesting to see how the Suns were uh, out of their home state and against a, a reasonable side away from home. But I think they still showed enough. Uh, and they were competitive for long periods that game. King, outstanding again. I think Wales playing pretty well for them. But uh, I think, yeah, Geelong weren't going to let that game slip with two big milestones. Uh, Ablett kicked a, a huge goal towards the end, so it very good. But uh, a couple of the, uh, the better users of the Geelong side in Duncan and Menegola have been pretty good the last few weeks. And I, I know most Geelong supporters like the ball in those guys' hands. So hopefully for Cat supporters' sake, those guys can keep getting their hands on the footy and using it pretty well going inside 50. And lastly, thought... Uh, Hawkins was excellent in the forward line three, up five uh, the, he's key to the Cats success so when he plays well Geelong normally win mm-hmm. a question being brought up throughout the week you talked about the real injury um, on Facebook that I've seen can he still have the ability to win the rising star um, I think sports better hoping so but I just as, you, as you've said they've had nine votes probably has nine votes in the Brownlow and I can't see many other players of the first, in their first year get that many so do you reckon he can win it or not obviously he can win it but I don't think he should um, I mean four games it's fair I don't think you can give a bloke an award that's judged over a whole season based on four games whether that's yeah, any, whether it's the rising star or an award like the MVP which is voted on the end of the year bloke plays four games and can't win it unfortunately an interesting um, stat that I think came out today was that the last two winners of the Rising Star and uh, Stevenson and Sam Walsh uh, had less votes in the AFL Coaches Associating uh, Player of the Year voting um, than what Sam Walsh, uh, sorry uh, Matt Rao has already. So, um, but yeah, back to the sort of the, the context of the question, it would be pretty hard to award someone the Rising Star for a four-game season. And I think there's a pretty good case study out there at the moment with Zion Williams. I know he's crossing Cote in the NBA, but he was an number one pick. Um, didn't had a, had a really interrupted start of the season, burst onto the scene, but he had, they they've seen him as not having a big enough impact on the or footprint on the season. I think Rao's the same. There's no doubt sports bet already paid off. There's no doubt Rao was on track to have a, a full vote uh, recognition in the, in the voting of the 
uh, rising star, but just, yeah, it's a, it's a 17 game season, four rounds and one quarter, I don't think it's quite enough. Yeah. Um, move to the game that was highly anticipated over the weekend. The two top dogs at that stage, Lions and Port. Port was, um, came out the block, couldn't capitalise, and then burned us. As Robbo described last year as sexy, um, just looked awesome. You couldn't really turn the TV off watching him. Port Adelaide look like they're pretenders yet again. Pretenders? But they beat, they beat, they beat a few lower-ranked sides like they normally do, and then they come up and they got absolutely pumped, really, by Brisbane. I know Brisbane, bloody good side and look unreal at the moment, but I think Port, a lot of question marks um, are being asked about them. But, yeah, Brisbane... Led by blokes like McCluggage and Neil at the moment are looking very, very good and deserve to be Premiership favourites, in my opinion. Yeah, I think um, you look at Brisbane, you know, they've been dealt a great hand by having four games in, uh, in Queensland to start this sort of this restart of the, the season, but this was their best performance um, for the season, and that second term was absolutely breathtaking um, and devastating from the Lions. And, you go, they've got Lockie Neal firing and Jared Berry's been a very, very good player for him to start of the year and a mouth-watering clash against Geelong tomorrow night, you know, away. So I think that's a, a contest we fans are looking forward to coming up to this weekend. Um, Chris Scott came out last year after, uh, I think Cameron, the stat is Cameron's kicked 10 goals in two games and said he's not unstoppable. I feel like at the stage of his career, the stage he's playing, anyone but Grimes I don't think can stop him. He is, without a doubt, best forward in the comp at the moment and also runs a lot through the mid. I saw on Saturday night, didn't necessarily play a lot of time forward, ran through that midfield and still had the same any impact. So I think he's almost, if not the best player in the comp overall. I think he's probably the most dangerous one-on-one forward or centre at the moment. So he definitely touched the Cats up last year at the Gabba. I think he kicked five and was electric and... As you said, he didn't, you know, I think he only kicked one, but a couple of his kicks inside 50 to Hipwood and McStay was really good. I didn't catch a heap of this game. I watched a bit more of the Dogs North, but uh, I'm not quite calling poor pretenders like Frank, but as Brisbane has been, uh, Robbo said sexy last year. Jared Wadley saying more than that. Jared saying mouth-watering a lot of um, adjectives going Brisbane's way, but been good so far. I just like their evenness. I don't see a heap of weaknesses in their side. They've got Andrews in defence. They've got an awesome midfield and they've got multiple avenues to goal, which means they're not going to be easy to stop. Mm. Uh, Luke Hodge came um, out during the week and said, Harris Andrews, best defender he's played with, he reckons. Uh, thoughts on that? And obviously he's a gump, but that's some pretty um, big companies with them. Do you think it's correct that statement well one thing Hawthorne probably lacked throughout that era was a, a, a great key defender I know Lake was there and did win a Norm Smith there but only for a couple of years so they did have Gibson who was a good player but a bit more of the attacking nature but doesn't surprise me to be honest I think Andrews has shown over a couple of years that he is a really good defender he's rangy he intercept marks he can also stop his opponent so he does all the things that a modern day key defender you want from a modern day key defender so uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me a lot, and I'm looking forward to watching him for the next decade. Uh, so the global game is now becoming a thing, not just the AFL. And uh, the Crows and Freo was televised all across the world, America mostly. And what a spectacle it was. Just two absolute top-class sides doing their thing, 
if you can't sense, uh, if you can't sense the uh, sarcasm in my voice, that was completely dog shit. That game, two irrelevant clubs calling him out. This shit. Thoughts on the game, both of you? I uh, turned it off. I uh, stopped watching it after half time because it was one of the poorest skilled games I've ever seen. Um, only shining light for me was Andrew Brayshaw, good for free medal, um, and that's clutching at Shaw's a little bit, but um, there was nothing good about that game at all. And, yeah, not much to say. I think what was uh, telling is the West Coast Sydney game the day before had about uh, 2,500 people, and unfortunately uh, 400 Queenslanders made the, uh, made the trip out to Metricon to watch... Um, the highly anticipated Adelaide Fremantle game. So I think it probably tells a good tale where those two clubs are at. Another game across the weekend, obviously. Uh, North getting done by the Sons of the West. Uh, it was pretty interesting. Uh, early on, the Dogs getting scrutinised in the season. And are uh, they the real deal? Have they, once again, not lived up to their hype? But they've beaten sides now in front of them convincingly a couple of weeks in a row. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah, the dogs were excellent. Uh, one bloke who has been pretty ordinary for them was Josh Bruce, and he definitely came good on the weekend. So well done to Bruce. Uh, five goals and the full votes and the coaches' votes. But again, I think the most pleasing thing from the dogs over the last couple of weeks was their evenness. Uh, I know Bond and Pally was outstanding the week before, but Bond didn't really get a kick. McRae's not lighting it up. But this is a good thing that they're winning without those two blokes really dominating the game so uh, uh, that's a, a big plus you know a couple of their lesser names Bailey Williams Bailey Dale both very good uh, English was outstanding uh, I don't know he's coughed a bit but he's a, he's a 21 year old Ruckman who's still got a bit of filling out to do but if he can get back and take contested marks and use it as well as he does at his age I think he's going to be a pretty good Ruckman going forward So we get North Melbourne a bit wrong at the start of the season they Bit of hype over them after they knocked off GWS and a bit of excitement. They haven't really lived up to that, those same standards and those that sort of hype that was coming for them after that GWS win. Uh, I'm not so sure. They might have got GWS at a good time that week, but uh, one of their main men is Ben Covington, and he's clearly hampered at the moment. So that's, that's an issue. I know Thomas was knocked out going for a hanger. Um, I just think... Yeah, yeah they need to be they need to be right on and the last couple of weeks they haven't quite been so I don't know I know Zuhar and a couple of others were, were pretty good early and they've struggled a little bit but I'm, I'm still reasonably happy with the way that the kangaroos are travelling yeah I think um, I think uh, we all know it was a poor decision for Kane to play on the weekend he clearly wasn't right to go and um, that was a, a mistake from the, the, you know, the, the match committee, you know, letting him take the field because he clearly wasn't ready. Um, Curtis Taylor was a little shining light for him. You know, got uh, awarded the Rising Staff this weekend, so good on him. Uh, I talked about Ben Brown's, you know, lack of effectiveness last week, and again, he wasn't uh, as effective as he needs to be for that club to be up and firing. And Aaron Hall didn't really provide much, so they're probably two notable stars that, have, that need to start getting going for the Roos, but I thought we actually touched on the Bulldogs' evenness across the ground now. They'll obviously bring Hunter back in this week, which will probably allow Jackson McRae to move inside a lot more, where he's a lot more suited. And Eastern Wood's obviously a key 
pillar of that uh, that back line with Cordy and Keith. Uh, it's making a more formidable uh, back six. So they've recovered from a slow start well, the dogs, and they've got a good opportunity up here in Queensland to solidify their place in the top eight. Uh, we're talking about uh, the big goal kicker, uh, Bruce, with six. It's pissing me off the last couple of weeks. The Channel 7 commentary team, they have deemed Robbie Tarrant the best defender in the comp. I can't pinpoint, I'm sorry because I can't pinpoint the actual commentator that said it, but two weeks in a row they've gone, Robbie Tarrant is the best player in the comp, and when a mediocre, I think everyone can agree with Josh, with Josh not being the greatest forward, kicking six on you and pulling your pants down and putting his wand up your ass, you cannot claim he's the best defender in the comp. That's all I'm saying. This is my little whack in the Channel 7 commentary team, but that's bad. I know one bloke who definitely did say it was Matty Blacken on Twitter said uh, Tarrant's the best defender in the comp halfway through the first quarter, and then... Bruce had a kick at that stage and then come out and kick five and that aged like milk. So bad luck to uh, Matty Lappin there. But, yeah, I think Robbie Tarrant has been a little bit stiff not to be All-Australian a couple of times, but there's a reason why he's not All-Australian, and that's because he's not quite the best defender in the comp, and that's because he's not the best defender in the comp. He gets five kicked on him by Josh Bruce. So I tend to agree a little bit there. Uh, the last game in Melbourne and the home of football for however long... Uh, the Richmond Tigers took on the D's. Uh, it was actually quite an exciting game. I think BT hyped it up pretty well, did his job as a commentator, um, keeping the excitement in the game, but it was a bit lacklustre, I think, from both sides, the game itself and the skills and things like that. Thoughts on that, boys? Yeah, BT made it sound like there was a goal in it for the entire second half, and then I kept having to check the score and realised that Richmond was still up by five goals. But I think Richmond... Got a bit of their mojo back in the sort of the second and third quarter, but obviously a lot of blokes going down for him this week. Prestia, it will be a massive, massive loss. Cochin, another hamstring, I think it's his fourth in 12 months, and when you get his age, it's no good. Um, but yeah, Richmond showed a few signs about this sort of thing. They did it last year, backs against the walls. It might just be a little challenge they need if they were lacking a little bit of hunger. It might be a bit of a challenge um, for them and get their season kick-started in a bit of a funny way. I think, uh, rightly, the media's really jumped on Melbourne after the weekend and you know, they, they just fell in against the Blues. And uh, apart from that, they were very ordinary against the Cats. Luckily for them, the Cats were ordinary as well, but they're starting to get found out a little bit. They just do not have any anything forward to centre. The continuity between their mids and their forwards is very ordinary. And I think uh, whilst the Tigers got the job done, and we said last week we're not prepared to write the Tigers off yet, I think it was more Melbourne being ordinary than Richmond being ecstatic, uh, excellent. Um, because a, a really rampant Tigers outfit in the last couple of years would have put that side away big time, and they, they did keep them in it. And whilst BT was trying his best to keep them in it, were a slight sniff uh, throughout. So I just think... Yeah, the Tigers got the job done, got the four points, move on, but they weren't excellent, and I just think Melbourne are, are nowhere at the moment. Oh, I'm a little bit the other way, not saying Melbourne are anywhere near what they want to be or need to be, but um, David Schwartz has, come, Schwartz has come throughout the week and said they're now irrelevant. I think what you're saying is right, where they're missing kind of that link between their mid and forward, but I think that this comes down to a little bit to the personnel in what all this has been interesting here. Um, unfortunately, you can't say about this comment, but I just feel that they are being pretty harshly um, 
harshly judged. I think obviously they're not there, but I just don't think they're that bad. There's a reason they're being harshly judged. It's because they made the prelim final in 2018, and since then they've won six out of 26 games, which is clearly not good enough. Uh, Goulburn's got to be under the heat. They've made some interesting trades on the back of thinking they were just around the corner of the flag and, and, and it's backfired. And I know Frank's next and everyone's a piece of this too. <laughs> well, they've, they've won I think, 6 of 26. That's the same record as Gold Coast. Um, and we know what everyone has said about Gold Coast over the last couple of years. They've, they finished below Carlton last year and lost to them this year. We know what everyone says about Carlton. Um, so they are a rabble. They are most definitely irrelevant although they've never really been relevant, to be honest. Um, and they have nothing going forward to centre, yet they keep keeping Harley Bernal out for his lack of defensive work. How about just looking at what he can do on the offence for you when nobody else can kick a goal? So I think the match committee needs to put him in the side this week and pull the finger out. I think, um, you know, Simon Goodwin said in the press conference he knows what their problem is. Well, I think uh, for Simo, he needs to uh, you know pull his finger out and try and do something about it and quickly. They've got a good opportunity uh, moving out of Melbourne now to sort of hopefully reset and get their game plan um, back under control. Um, Batrak is a one-man band for them at the moment, and their inefficiency going forward is just uh, you know plaguing them with the, you know the, the Clayton Oliver turnover. That last minute probably summing up where they're at. Mm. Uh, just on this, and Frank's mentioned selection and Harley Vanell. Uh, Fez two weeks ago uh, pointed the trigger at Paddy Ryder, got him arsehole out of the side, Saints got a win. Last week I pointed the finger fairly and squarely at Tom Hickey, arsehole out of the side, West Coast win. I think the coaches need to start tuning this podcast, listen to what the experts have to say. <laughs> Frank's just pointed at Ben Elf. I think he needs to get in as well. And if it's three in a row, we have a case. We need, we need spotlight on the selection table. <laughs> Uh, let's go to some talking points this week. Um, obviously, the Jordan Dugowie... Sorry, there's one more game of football I've missed out on, apparently. Gee, the running sheets aren't going too great tonight. Oh, it doesn't even matter. GWS uh, played the Hawks, um, flogged them, cost me another multi. Thoughts on that, Wiz? Oh, don't talk about multis. I have an absolute man. But the Giants, there's a big, big sound coming uh, up there in, in Western Sydney. They're back, the Giants, uh, and they've got Ward and Taranto and a couple of others to come back in. think they're looking very good. Really like the work of uh, Sausage, Big Mummy. Like what he brought to the table against Segler and uh, and Big Boy, who got towed up in defence. A lot of gone away early. So I owe an apology, but did he get his pants pulled down and inserted back there, Big Boy... Uh, yes, he was just found out a little bit Finlayson, Himmelberg, Cameron Just a little bit nimble for big boy back there But uh, Yeah, I like what the Giants brought to the table Hawks haven't been great the last couple of weeks Did enough against the Kangaroos But I think they're back to about where they are on the ladder uh, They were a little bit higher than where they deserved about, I think so But Giants looking ominous uh, Who does McAvoy go to this week against Pies? Uh, Cox Probably Cox Cox yes. because I think you saw on the weekend he got done by Finlayson and Himmelberg, who are sort of the mobile tools. And GWS is smart. They put the ball on the sort of sometimes they were kicking on the sort of on the ground to him rather than on top of his head like the um, Kangaroos did with McAvoy. Whereas Cox isn't going to beat McAvoy 
on the lead or anything and big boy should be able to hopefully just body him out of the contest because Pies just sit it up on his head so I reckon he'll get Cox this week. I reckon uh, Coxie might be out of the side. Big Will Phillips is coming in, so I reckon Coxie might be uh, heading for the sheds this week. But um, I guess the, the interesting stat from this game was that the Giants had 26 inside 50s. Now, if you're having 26 inside 50s in a game of Australian rules football, you're normally losing that game 95% of the time. So to see the big boys uh, finally dominate up four was a, a good sign um, for them. So... Uh, 18 scoring shots from 26 inside 50s was the final count, so uh, clinical efficiency from the Giants. Elite. Okay, our next guest on the post-game spray is 249-game player with the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne Football Club, who debuting in 2002 for the Doggies, 210 games before playing 39 at the D's uh, from 2014 to 15. 2008 Charles Sutton medalist, Daniel Cross, thanks for joining us, Crossy. Uh, appreciate your time, mate, and difficult circumstances at the moment. Um, obviously, a pretty successful era at the Dogs, mate. Um, just before you get us into the Halcyon years, you, obviously when you started, the Dogs were uh, an emerging side. Do you want to talk us through what it was like early days when, uh, in your first couple of years, there's only a couple of wins on the board and playing in a, in a struggling side as a young player? Johnson, Smith, Darcy, Grant, a few of those guys. Do you want to just tell us what it was like learning off those guys early in your career?
Um, I reckon I had a, a everyone used to say they had a tunnel built between um, their houses. They lived in parallel streets um, down here in Willie. And um, I really looked up um, to those guys. And um, yeah, I wanted to get into this area because yeah, I just wanted to be like them so much. And you know, um, John Ellis, you know, I used to, before interstate games, I used to go and you know, watch a movie in their room and just to be around them. Um, was um, was really incredible for for a young player like myself. Um, and just try to soak up as much um, uh, information from those guys as possible. And, um, yeah, try to get as close to them as I could, and um, yeah, just learn as much as I could. One thing um, I saw, just having a look back on your career and how certain blokes described you, um, the key words that kept coming up were just your professionalism and your focus to getting the best out of yourself. How did you come about, you know, getting those qualities? Was it something you always had as a kid or was it from learning uh, from those blokes like Jono and Scott West and all those guys? Um, yeah, I, I, I get asked that question a little bit. And um, just as a, as a kid, I guess, um, for whatever reason, I was just really, really competitive. I think growing up in Albury, um, it was either you played a heap of sport or you played computer games. Um, and we were lucky in the Albury region that there was just a plethora of sports to choose from and, and really good quality programs for us to, to do as kids. And um, in my street when I was growing up, I think there was 10 boys. So pretty much every day um, we were just out there um, competing against each other. And I had an older brother uh, Josh, who um, he's a couple of years older than me, I just, you know, as mothers do, I just want to uh, beat each other and beat the crap out of each other. So um, I, I guess a bit of it came from that. Um, I was a big Rocky fan as well. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I just, I don't know, I love those stories. Um, you know, man against the odds, um, always fighting against the odds. And I guess when I, when I got drafted, even though I was drafted as a 17-year-old, today in the media, uh, the scrutiny on sides which aren't at the top of their game and then kind of the glorification of sides about their culture and stuff like that. And obviously when it's going well, it seems culture's awesome. Um, when you early at the Dogs, who were the people that led kind of that culture and was it toxic like a lot of clubs? Um, a scene when they're lowering the, uh, lowering the ladder and then when you did rise around that 2010 um, yeah. Was it better or did you reckon it just kind of waved out throughout the whole thing and didn't have an impact on your footy? Um, yeah, I, I think um, I was probably, I don't know, I spoke about it a bit, but I think the feeling was around the time that, um, as I said before, that there might have been um, a few individuals um, who didn't buy into the, um, the team. Um, yeah, when I, when I first got there and they were you know, maybe concerned about how they were going um, and not necessarily 
not necessarily about about the team. Um, you know, no one really stood out. Um, you know, I was just a, a young fella trying to get a game in the reserves, to be honest. So, um, but I think that that may have worked. Three prelims are 08, 09, and 2010. 08 and 09, especially 09, very, very close. Were there, yep. is there anything you look back on there where you think it, it might have been? I know, uh, obviously, it takes a lot to get to the prelim, and some say the prelim is the hardest one to win, but getting so close, obviously, pretty frustrating not to get in the grand final. But is there anything in particular from those three years that you sort of look back on with, with regret? Uh, you mentioned that you're in also pre and post uh, Peter Road 
uh, Rodney Eade and Brendan McCartney all coached us throughout that period. Do you want to just talk us through briefly the three differences in those styles and maybe what you got out of each of those coaches personally? Yeah, well, Rod, um, Peter Rowe was only there for um, a couple of years. Um, and yeah, he, he um, unfortunately for him, didn't, uh, didn't make it through um, his second year. I think for me, um, as I was talking about before, uh, Rod had seen the, he, he saw a lot of the deficiencies in me. Um, so, um, yeah, unfortunately, his tenure wasn't uh, really. Um, successful, but um, he was a he was a fantastic guy, um, and I got along with him um, really well. He was an assistant coach um, before he coached. He um, he stepped in when when uh, when Plough um, left. Um, Brendan McCartney, um, he was a you know, obviously had a, a great reputation uh, coming from Geelong um, as a contested ball um, specialist, and they were the developed players. Um, in that area, I had no doubt that um, you know, Luke Beveridge obviously gets most of the accolades, but I think uh, Macca, um, you know, the way he taught a lot of those guys how to win contested ball um, and the method around that, um, I think had a, a bit of a bearing on how the guys um, came to winning that 2016 Premiership. Um, and then Rocket. Um, like he, um, he was the one who basically um, saw the best in me um, and really gave me, gave me my opportunity um, at the start of that 2005 season. And um, he always backed me in. Um, he had strong belief in me and um, I absolutely loved playing for him. Um, he was a great motivator, um, a really great tactician. Um, he was also uh, furious on the tongue <laughs> as well. So, um, yeah, I, I love playing under rocket. Um, yeah, you got the, usually got the best out of guys, which was, um, which is obviously what you're striving for as a coach. Um, as we're on the topic of your coaches and your, uh, the different setups they had, um, obviously a well-publicised uh, activity that was underdone, uh, the Jason Ackermanis 360-degree feedback. Here we're all for it, but um, it was pretty... Um, well publicised how Jason Ackermanis thought it was unfair. Um, could you just touch on that and what was it like kind of participating in the culture around the club at that time? Yeah, um, there was a there was a program um, called Leading Teams, and um, you know, it's pretty well documented that the the Cats um, probably the first ones um, to start that, and, um, obviously worked really well for them, and, and we we brought it in. Um, for our group um, as well, and um, yeah, every every player sat up there and did it, um, and a lot of the times um, it's how you take the feedback um, and how you respond to that feedback. So the way it works is you have a um, you know, you'll get get into little groups and there'll be the one person out the front, and then the areas um, uh, that you you want them to stop. Um, you want them to start and you want them to keep. Um, so I, I can't remember, um, I've got no idea um, yeah, what, was, what was said to Heather. Um, obviously, yeah, he didn't uh, take it a certain way and, and he thought you know, guys were maybe picking on him and um, 
not seeing uh, the best in him and um, just looking at the negatives. So, yeah, like I said, um, it's how you take the feedback and how you respond to it. And, um, yeah, sort of went a little bit pear-shaped from there. Mm. Just, uh, just leaving the footy side of things for a second, a couple of the qualities that, you know, when I was looking back in your career, you know, talking about courage and teamwork and selflessness, there was an incident in 2007 when you were on a pre-season trip over in Hong Kong that really typified those those sort of qualities. Do you want to just talk us through what happened there and believe you and Big Tom Williams um, went to the aid of a yeah. young girl? Yeah, so um, we were... Uh... We were on our second night um, over in Hong Kong. Uh, it was the first time pretty much all of us had been there. Uh, we had a good first night. And, uh, six o'clock, um, for those of you that have been a free trip, we were at Kangaroo Court uh, in the hotel and everyone was telling their stories and so forth. And anyway, we were heading down um, on a boat, um, a jump boat that night. Um, we were heading into the harbour and the flight was full of grog and food and um, yeah, got the music cranking and it, uh, it's a good time so we were walking along the harbour and um, the rule was that um, after Kangaroo Court you weren't allowed on your phone so we were, um, there was a couple of us um, straggling up the back um, just giving the, uh, the lovelies a call, um, just checking in quickly so no one could see us and anyway there was a bit of commotion up the front um, but we, we saw, as we were walking along, we saw a couple of guys fishing along um, the harbour over the other side of the fence. Um, so I thought um, someone had caught a big fish or something. So we were spreading out over about I don't know, 50, 60 metres. And um, yeah, some of us uh, ran up, up the front. And next thing I knew is, uh, well, next thing I saw was this young girl, um, and she was in the water. Um, and I saw a school bag um, up along the fence line. Um, so it was about a, I don't know, metre, metre and a half fence. And something just clicked in me straight away. I, um, and it was strange because there was people watching but nothing was sort of being done. Um, and yeah, I, I just snapped into, into action and thought, oh, she must have slipped in, like she must have fallen in somehow. Like, um, so the next thing I do, I, I just dived in, I just jumped in, um, at the time I didn't realise when I still had my phone and my wallet in my pocket, that's how fast it all sort of happened. Um, and then the next thing I know, Tommy Williams jumps in after me, um, so anyway, we were, we were in the water with her and for those of you that don't know, I think Hong Kong Harbour is the most polluted um, waterway uh, in the world, um, little did we know at that time, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really salty, um, and anyway, we were trying to get her up, and she was, she was just telling us, like, just let me go, just let me go, and I'm like, I'm thinking, what do you mean, like, I, as I said, like, I didn't know what happened, I thought she'd fallen in, so it took us about five minutes to uh, get her up towards this ladder, guys were trying to throw um, the rope, and the life-saving boy in to get her up and we tried to get her up that but she kept slipping out and we ended up finding a, a ladder to um, get her up and that was about a, I don't know, must have been a, a three or four metre drop down into the water 
so it took a bit to get her out. Um, yeah, we got we got someone rang the ambulance. Um, yeah, and before we knew it, they were there. And me and Tommy had to go and shower because uh, he had a few cuts on himself. And um, yeah, we ended up finding out. Uh, we got an email back from the from the mother through a guy who we knew over there about a month later and it turns out that she was trying to commit suicide um, and apparently there was um that had happened that happens a lot over there um yeah apparently she was a lot, under a lot of pressure at school she was only 15 years old and um you know it's just we had an email from the mother just thanking us uh, for what we did um and yeah it was it was when i when i think thought, thought about it at the time um and when I think about it now, um, how the girl 15 still in her school clothes um, in the dark of night trying to trying to do something like that, it's quite confronting. Um, but at the time, as I said, we just sort of snapped uh, into action and, and got the job done. So um, the mother thanked us and uh, yeah, she was doing um, a lot better at that time, um, a month or so later. That's uh, pretty... Uh, harrowing experience, I suppose, there, mate. But uh, I suppose all of us would like to think that in that situation we do the same thing. But you and um, Tom Williams obviously need to be commended on that. So that's a, a great achievement. Uh, we've concentrated. <laughs> we've concentrated a fair bit on your Western Bulldogs career, but you finished your last two seasons were at Melbourne, and that was under sort of the Paul Rouge transition into uh, into Simon Goodwin. Can you just first of all talk us through? Uh, Rusey and how he was to deal with, and I've got a, another follow-up question just following that as well. Yeah, yeah no, um, well, Rusey was fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, I was very grateful for him to give me the opportunity to uh, continue my career after being let go of the dogs. Um, you know, he was he was a driving force um, in that move, and really wanted me to to come in and um, I guess. Um, impose my experience on the group and um, you know the, the way that I loved um, to train and get the best out of myself. Um, you know, that they were a really young group who were um, you know, quite inexperienced and um, yeah that was that was a huge part of me uh, coming across to um, I guess uh, show those guys um, what it takes to to get to um, a higher level um, of, of footy. Um, you know, he, uh, his, um, his coaching, um, I guess he, the main thing that he wanted to do was really keep it simple um, for the playing group. He obviously had um, you know, quite a few um, terrible years. Um, I think the season before, you know, the guys had won two games, so um, it wasn't really um, for him, I don't think, um, so much about winning and losing. Uh, it was about changing the culture of the place, as, as we were talking about before. Um, and he, he certainly he certainly did that. Um, you know, having standards um, was was something that um, he, he drove really hard. And um, I think that's why I um, loved him as a coach, is because... You know, that's what I was all about as well. And, um, 
yeah, I think uh, I think he, he did a great job at the time. It was it was certainly a tough job. A lot a lot needed to be changed, but um, no, he um, he got the the group heading in the right direction. Unfortunately, um, you know, at the moment um, the guys have um, hit a bit of a skid mark, but. Um, I, I still believe the, the talent and the want and the desire um, for that group um, to get there is there. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of um, executing on the day, which uh, you know, the guys are just struggling with at the moment. Well, having an intricate knowledge as you do of the club, I'm sure that's a great insight for the Demon supporters out there. And obviously, making a prelim, they've got the talent, so hopefully, they can turn it around pretty soon. Uh, we've just got two more questions, mate, because you've been very generous with your time. So the second last one is just on Rusey. Uh, I know in your last game, before your last game, uh, Rusey invited uh, Matty Boyd in to speak to the playing group uh, prior to that game. What was that like for you? I'm sure that was a great honour. And uh, yeah. firstly, what did that mean from Boydie doing that? As, and also from Rusey, I thought that would have been pretty special for you. Um, none of that is surprising to me at all. Um, 
but yeah, I actually love that about him because he was so passionate um, about winning on the seventh Um I don't really have a great recollection of details of service phrase. Um, we all definitely cop them at times. Um, Brian Lake probably more so than others. <laughs> um, but one that sort of sticks out, me and my teammates sort of joke about a bit, um, I remember he gave one to Matty Roberts. Um, um, you know, Robbo, Robbo was a, a really good solid um, forward for us uh, for quite a few years, but he was having a bit of a lean patch at this time, not many touches and no goals or assists, but he was getting plenty of tackles. Um, anyway, we come in and must have been after a loss and he's gone through us all and he's got to Robbo and he starts ripping through him and basically goes, Robbo, is his big bloody muscles, is there any danger you can touch the ball, son? I'm <laughs> showing the sun. Um, and um, I already say, like, oh, seriously, we may as well ring in a Melbourne Storm player and ask one of those, one of those guys to come in and play for us. Because they've been doing the same effing thing that you're doing, <laughs> um, and that's tackling. <laughs> these days praise their forwards for forward pressure but I think they're still there to kick goals and create goals so good to hear Rocket was a bit ahead of his time there. <laughs> no, he, he loved, the, he loved uh, attacking and offence and um, yeah, it was, it was great to see him getting plenty of tackles, he wanted goals, 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 assists so um, yeah, he wasn't too happy um, but yeah, no you're right. Nah, fair enough and uh, obviously we do really appreciate your time mate and hopefully when the uh, restrictions and COVID-19 settles down and footy gets back the way it always was, that uh, we'll see you out in the pink running around for the Ds and back in your high-performance role. So, And as I said, mate, we really appreciate your time and great insight into your career and the ins and outs of those years at the Dogs and, and also the Ds, mate. So thanks for your time. We do appreciate it and look forward to seeing your kids run around the blue and gold for Williamstown Cricket Club. Appreciate your time, Crossy. Thanks, thanks, mate. Thank you. We can go on to talking points this week. Firstly, uh, the joined to go incident, not necessarily going into the incident itself, but uh, the effect we have on the pies and now discipline. Uh, discipline issues becoming more relevant. The pies, obviously, we've had our Swans, Maxwell, Shaws, Stevenson's now to goey and side bottom. Why is this? Why is this a common theme, Colin? What do you think? And why is it not prevalent in other sides? I don't know if the culture is one hundred percent. Obviously, don't know the intentions of side bottom at the start. But if he was just going around to have a beer with Howe, don't think that would have been too much frowned upon. But then kicking on in his undies and seven AM on Sunday morning outside Wellesley's joint probably crossed the line somewhere in that period between a couple of beers at Howe's place. But. Uh, Dugowie obviously happened a while ago. 
under uh, police investigation. We might just shoulder arms to that incident. <laughs> but he is out this week, so he's going to hurt. That's, that's going to hurt them. No side bottom, obviously no how, no Joey. Their backs are against the wall. They're back to 10th position on the ladder. Big game against the Hawks on Friday night, and they need to bring bring some um, more intensity and a better output if they're going to win that game. But he's only one week, so I, I don't know if it's going to hurt dramatically. It's just a big week for them this week, and the others need to step up a little bit. But they've got the cattle in the forward line with um, with Stevens and Hosky Elliott's been pretty quiet. Elliott's been very quiet. So if those two blokes lift a little bit, I think they can cover Dugowie to a certain extent, but it's only a one-week thing. Yeah, Colin with midfield still all fast with Pendlebury, Adams, Trelaw in that Grundy as well. I think they've still got, you know, like we said, still got the cattle, but yeah, they just obviously a lot of pressure on them. Eddie making a bit of a fool of himself in the media as well. So club's under a bit of heat, so the players need to respond, even though it's not always their fault. And just Robbo talked a little bit about it on 360, and as a supporter, it is starting to get a bit annoying. Kind of, I know a lot of people say, oh, that, like footballers, they're still people, but it gets to the stage now where there's been too many cases and now the precedent's been set of what happens. It's not like they don't know what's going to happen. And it could it'll be the most frustrating for Buckley. And then to Eddie Maguire to contradict himself, I just, it's, I think it's doing all Collingwood supporters' heads in a little bit. So pull your head in Collingwood a little bit. So, yeah, um, let's move on. We touched on a little bit before Richmond's injuries, how devastating Will that be, or like we said, will it maybe kickstart their season a little bit? Well, they did. They had a fair series. I remember when Geelong played them last year, they, they were missing a truckload of players and got touched up, and that, then they went on a, a spree with a loop game. The problem is now, shorter season, I listen to Hardwick on Monday night, uh, Prestia and Nankervis, especially now, out for an extended period of time, uh, they're, they're in trouble, and they're in trouble this week. I know the Swans aren't, aren't flying, but... No Prestia, no Cochin, no Nankervis, no Lynch, no Edwards, no Hawley. Edwards and Hawley, it sort of compounds that those injuries this week with them being out due to their circumstances, family circumstances, not wanting to go into the hub. So for any side to be missing, you know, seven of their best, probably twelve players, that that's massive. So and and Cochin's out for a few weeks as well. So they've got a a real big two or three weeks where they need us stay in the mix before they get a few of those guys back. Otherwise, the season's going to be gone because it's a long way back in a 17-round season if you're behind the eight ball. Yeah, Hull, I think, obviously, they're all big outs, but I think especially Hawley and Edward, who provide a lot of that drive off half-back. You know, I've talked to, got a few mates at Richmond's boys, and you talk about they absolutely love what Shane Edwards brings to that side. Um, so he's really important for him with his run, his ability to just get the ball forward. Um, so I can Hawley and Edwards are nearly the two hardest to replace out of out of those out of that list. Um, because there's no real like for like replacement. You know, they can bring, you know, blokes like Pickett and Graham and Ross into the midfield. We've got Soldo coming to the ruck, but off half back to replace blokes like Edwards and Hawley really, really tough, I reckon. along the lines of that and I totally agree because um, they've got other blokes across here like Boston and Grimes are still in there, but they're not those rebounding defenders like Cooley and Edwards are. But the other thing is they've lost... Those players are off a mixture of lines, so it's hard to cover all of them. And Frank did mention, I think the one that they can sort of cover is Soldo for Nian I think Nian is a little bit better, but Soldo can do a 95%. But Prestia and Cochin are also their two, two of their three major ball winners. 
And those 20, in this, this day and age with the 16-minute quarters, those 20 to 25 position getters in Cochin and Prestia just don't grow on trees. And now, you know, if Martin gets a hard tag, I just don't know how they're going to be able to generate that ball-winning ability from the midfield. So, as Frank said, I totally agree with the drive across half-back, but I think the midfield aspect of it's there as well. Lynch probably misses this week. Rewalt can play there. and they, I think they've got enough tricks in the forward line and, and Lynch will be back, but two gaping holes now, midfield and halfback. I like the game of uh, Big Mabby or Troll on the weekend, so good to see him get a bit more responsibility with Lynch at him. Look good. Yeah, Troll, Troll and Bolter both look good, and I think you know injuries do provide options for other guys to get going, but uh, yeah, whether those two can stand up consistently and bring what they bought last week is another question. Also, Troll rocking the absolute handle of the century. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Get around him. Play well, like you said as well, which is awesome. Um, we'll go on to the Max Exodus. The Mass Exodus from Melbourne. Um, everyone's setting off to Jerusalem, basically, going down to Gold Coast, Sadusa, and Coogee Bay, and wherever that is. Um, would you like to touch on that little Durban, what it's kind of like, the vibe? I know it's a bit different with umpires, the individuals you are. But um, what's it like, the camaraderie and, camaraderie and stuff like that up there? Yeah, no, it's obviously really good. I, you know, I guess from you know your own experience for football or cricket or you know, getting away with your mates is probably the um, you know, some of the most memorable highlights of um, your footy career. So I can sort of probably speak from our point of view. It's good to sort of connect. We've got families up here as well, so it's good to connect with those with um, partners and, and got kids as well. So it's a good little vibe within the umpiring group. There's about 50 of us up here. Um, and as we said at the start, we're um, rooming or sharing the facility with Essendon. So here at uh, Southport, which have been absolutely fantastic. So um, the facilities here are first class for a, for a NAFL club up here. And, um, you know, I think the team that's sort of, you know, the club that relishes, well, the Victorian club that relishes the, the chance and um, the opportunity to thrive in this unique environment will... Um, you know, certainly go a long way to determining where they sort of place themselves coming into the year. Um, during the week, oh, there was a big difference this week um, from umpire's interpretation of holding the ball. Obviously, Clarko came out and said um, we had 60-odd tackles, ball, uh, none adjudicated um, free kicks or whatever. Um, I quite like I quite like what uh, the AFL's done. Um, yeah, they've done it how they've made it a more real sensible kind of decision going the criteria now is it's the interpretator do you have a genuine attempt and do you have a poor do you have poor opportunity uh thoughts on that was yeah i agree i thought it was better over the weekend uh there's bits i do and don't like about it the bit i don't like about it is that clarko comes out and says something and there's a knee-jerk reaction straight away and it gets implemented having said that i think it's still the right way to go about it and I think it opened up the footy a bit more. Yes, there's more free kicks paid and yes, there were a few players caught out on the weekend but as many people have said, players adapt extremely quickly. They won't make those same mistakes this weekend. Now they know that that's the rule. So I think uh, good on the umpiring fraternity or the rules committee or whoever it was that adopted what Clarko said and took it as gospel but the main thing is the game's better for it, and I think uh, it'll be better for the season if that continues. <laughs> on an umpiring point, but not necessarily an umpiring point, hang on see Gold Coast on the weekend give away about 38 50-minute penalties by running in endangered zone. Surely 
it's been around for a year and a bit now. Surely you get the gig maybe after one or two that you can't run within 15 metres or whatever the pre- protected space is. I don't know. I don't know if you said 30 yards. I don't know if there's that many, but there's a couple. Agree and don't agree. I think it's a rubbish rule. Sometimes, you know, if players are looking to arc around a little bit and they are impeded by a bloke running to their right and put off, and then that should be 50, but players are very innocuous. And sometimes a bit of common sense needs to prevail. Common sense needs to prevail. But there's uh, a cat supporter was all for it on the weekend. There's a couple of 50s, but yeah, hopefully we don't see too many of those going forward because they don't impact the play that much. And a 50 metre penalty for something minor is a huge penalty in today's footy. Uh, talk this year in the media, second year players and uh, kind of surrounding Connor Rosie and Walsh and the high draft draft picks of last year's draft. Um, what are your thoughts on those kind of topics, boys? Yeah, there has been a lot, and we have discussed it a little bit about the Walsh versus Rosie, and there's also been Bailey Smith uh, in that argument. Max King, Ben King, there's some great players um, from that draft last year. I think it's going to go down as as an all-time great draft, but I just don't get the you know the people who are fanatical about comparing the pair and and saying this bloke should have been drafted, this bloke shouldn't have been. Had an unbelievable year last year, one of the best first years of all time. And then, um, you know, Rosie comes out in rounds one and two and has 21 and 17 and kicks a goal in each. But since then, he's had eight, 15 and 13 and only kicked one goal in three games. And, you know, three or four weeks ago, guys were saying, you know, Carlton's going to regret this for life. Uh, well, Rosie's got the better upside, etc., etc. Second-year players are going to be inconsistent. They're going to have the ups and downs. They're going to, in their first year, they don't get found out as much. Sides don't put as much preparation into them, don't go to school on what they do and don't bring to the contest. And now Walsh is getting uh, found out a little bit more than he was, but he's a good player. He's going to bounce back from that. But, um, you know, you look back and say, oh, maybe Judd had the bigger upside than Luke Hodge was taken at one and Judd got taken three. I think Hawthorne supporters are pretty happy with Luke Hodge in the end. And I don't think Carlton needs to be criticised and critiqued for taking Walsh, who was the obvious pick one, at pick one, when you know there might be someone who might be a little bit better, but he's still going to be a really good player. So that's my point, Frank. Yeah, I think the amount of people jumping on you know, bloke like Walsh, he's not the only... There's plenty of senior players in the competition this year as well who haven't exactly lit it up over the first four or five rounds. So he's sort of as if he's the only player that hasn't performed over the last over the first month um and i think just in general with draftees you know should be more positive talk rather than that trying to knock them down and say clubs made mistakes so quickly judge the draft in five years time and then and then go for your life but i think if you have a look back over the last few drafts sam walsh's first season was better than the majority of the other number one picks over the last few years so um i think yeah the chat just needs to settle down a little bit and be a bit more positive. So, I think I think um, you know fans and the media need to start looking at what these players can do, and not worrying about what they can't do and what mistakes they're making now uh, and what they're going to be like in five years. Let's stay present um, and focus on what they can do and what they bring to your football club. You know what Walsh brings to Carlton is what. Um, you know, Smith. You know, it's different to what Smith brings to the Bulldogs. It's what's different to what Rosie brings to Port. Um, they're all different. You know, they're playing different roles, different positions. I think Walsh is just harshly 
criticised more this year, potentially because of his ball use and the fact that unlike sort of Rosie and Smithy, he doesn't really impact um, the scoreboard as well. So I think you know we can all sort of agree that you know the media and you know supporters just need to calm down a little bit and just wait to see how things play out. It's a, it's a long year. It's a, a you know, they're in for a long career. So um, you know I'm sure they'll be fine going forward. Just to judging uh, the effectiveness of disposals um, for certain players, and there was an interesting one that came up this week. Would you like to share that with? Yeah, I think there was a big stat coming out of the weekend, uh, highlighted by I'm pretty sure it was Fox Footy's own David King, uh, and that's disposals per score involvement in 2020. So three clubs that have been mentioned in the media: Melbourne, Adelaide, and, and Brisbane, and their differing levels of success throughout 2020. Clayton Oliver. Uh, a ball magnet in the midfield for Melbourne, uh, 12.2 touches per score involvement. You compare that with the Crouchers who are running around the nine mark, Matt at 8.5 and Brad at 9.2, and then Lockie Neal, for every 3.9 disposals, he's having a score involvement. So that tells me he's more damaging with disposals, they're forward to centre, and every time he gets a footy, that uh, is a big chance in Brisbane getting a score, I think. For Melbourne and Adelaide to improve, their midfielders need to start damaging with their disposals. And at the moment, Oliver and the Crouch boys just aren't doing that. Which obviously shows that it all starts from the middle and that type of thing. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our weekly spray. Floody has one for us this week. Go ahead, Flood. Yeah, it's to do with the lockdowns. Um, came across an article from a Susie O'Brien um, this morning. I don't really know what old Susie does, but anyway, she writes for the Herald Sun and she has basically come out and said that the AFL um, are taking advantage of their elitism and that they're having a sunny escape up to Queensland and the Sunshine and Gold Coast. Um, Susie just needs to understand that it's not about the players and that's not why they're going up there just to get their livelihoods going. This is a industry that is worth four, $500 million, employs thousands of people in Victoria and across the country. It's not just about the players and making sure they get their, their pay packet. This season is crucial in order for community football to go ahead and for people to be employed locally. So it's not about the players. They're sacrificing. I know obviously they get a pretty good run of it up there in you know, resorts and get a bit of sun. We'd all love to be up there, but they're not going up there to get their pay packets. They're sacrificing themselves and a lot of them have families and everything to keep the game going for other people's livelihoods. And I don't reckon there's anybody in Melbourne other than yourself who would be disappointed that football is still going at the moment. Yes, we're going into lockdown. Yes, it's shit. Yes, you know, AFL players getting to go away but they're also held to a lot of higher standards they can't you know do a tiny thing wrong without being caught out in public so yes they held to higher standards and they deserve this to go away keep the season going so Susie you need to understand that just on Frank Spray I think it's very relevant uh, the five games or six games when the AFL went back to a 17 game season cost the AFL 100 million dollars so that's the five or six games so as Frank rightly pointed out, and being one of those people that is uh, employed throughout football, it is bigger than what the players are putting out at the moment, and the players going out to the Sunshine Coast and uh, 
and getting their time in the sun and playing footy, it is a huge game, a huge business, and the money train is a lot bigger than just what goes on the TV. So spot on. Just on that, I think any other business, forget that's AFL, that is worth this much money, would be doing absolutely everything they can to keep their operations going. Mm. Uh, Susie O'Brien, whatever her name is, um, clearly not relevant at all. I can say I'm an avid reader of the Herald Sun, especially the uh, sports section, so I've never heard of her in my life, so I can just uh, pop down there, Susie. Uh, we'll go on to it. Our last thing, we always say we love a list. It's a broken record here. Our list this week is the worst ever players to play 200 games of top league footy. Would you like to kick us off, Frank? I've got, I've got a couple. I'll just start off with a couple of my favourites that are running around at the moment. Dave McKay from Adelaide. He has been a mediocre footballer for the best part of at least 10 years. He just seems to get a game. Never seen him being a top five on the ground. Just runs around on a wing, getting cheap outside kicks occasionally. And another one who most recently brought up 200 games and he's probably on track to play 300 games, which I can't swallow, but Sean Atley from North Melbourne, how he has played 200 games beyond me. He can run reasonably well, but other than that, that's all he can do. So I don't know how he gets a game, but those are the two I'll pick us off with and I'll see what everyone else has and then I'll come back. I'm going to contradict myself here because it is a fantastic achievement to play 200 games of AFL footy. All of us here at uh, Post Game Australia love to play one game and we weren't good enough. But having said that, gee whiz, there have been some spuds play 200. And Frank, I've just had to cross, put a big fat line through Sean out there because he was, he was right up there in my list. Uh, Frank said he can run a bit. He can't do anything, mate. He is terrible, Sean Atley. He is an absolute <laughs> potato. Right, so he's gone. Uh, one that's close to a lot of Geelong supporters' heart in a negative light, Ash McGrath. The Miracle on Grass, I think he was mentioned a couple of weeks ago. The Miracle on Grass! He was a potato. Uh, disagree with that one. Potato. Uh, another one, another, another two Premiership players. I'm not just going into low lifes like Sean Atley or Dave McGrath. I'm going Premiership players. Campbell Brown. And there's Campbell Brown with blood streaming out, obviously, and had to go at the Essendon box. And... Oh, that's, oh that's, Jesus. That's rough. Good player, I thought Campbell Brown did his oh, job. This is, this is the Geelong bias coming Jesus out. No, Campbell, Campbell, Campbell Brown was a plotter, mate. He was a plotter. <laughs> he was your fifth defender. Then he went forward and tried to play it. And I like Campbell Brown. I've heard him speak. I like him as a person. Like his biffo. Like what he brought to the table when Saul got knocked out and he, he did the slit throw to Lloydie. Like what his old man brought to the table uh, in Mel, but on the field, talent-wise, Campbell Brown, spell, please. And last but not least, and this bloke is a premiership captain, makes me want to vomit, Nick Maxwell. York did not play on a man for 200 games. Barked instructions, can't speak, like, doesn't use English language that well, and couldn't play the game in it with talent. Uh, had a crack, got the most out of himself, was able to inspire others, but in terms of ability, in terms of you look at the other players to play tournament games, in terms of talent, Nick Maxwell wouldn't tie the shoes of most other players. So pack your bags, Nick, you're in that list as well. Uh, while you're on that, um, I'm not sure about the games. I'll just look this up because I feel it's a quite personal attack as a Collingwood supporter, and you've done this. But to fall short three, oh no, sorry, one game short of 200 games. I know it's not quite in the thing, but if you go having a go at Premiership captains. Tom Harley played 199. Uh, All-Australian captain, mate, and this is a worst place to play 200 games, so you're going to make a list. Wiz, if you're all saying this and then saying Tom Hawkins is the player who's having the top, 
up to his height. We've had these talks Maybe before. Should kick 700 goals. Paddy, can make a dick yourself again here, son? I'm going to go on to... And the way I've off thought about mark. it... Off the mark there with that one, Paddy. Hasn't met the criteria. The way I've gone is a bit niche. I've gone, not necessarily the worst players, but they've been hyped up by the media and they've played over 200 games and they're not that good. Firstly, Sam Gilbert from St Kilda. Spud, hit the post twice in the 2010 replay. Just give it up. Keep playing over footy. And secondly, I know this will put a dagger in someone's heart. On the panel here, to play over 300 games, not just 200. Ooh. Cade Simpson. I'll say, yes, he won a BNF in 2013. That's one good year out of 330 games. And they've been at the bottom of the ladder, ladder every every year since. So he's not that good. He's been hyped up by the media. But if you've lost the most ever games of AFL, you're not that good. Well, I don't know that that's necessarily a reflection on old Cade. That's more a reflection of... The other 21 blokes he's been running around with, but I'll just, I'll let that one go, Paddy. I disagree with that. Very, very harsh on Kate Simpson. Been the heart and soul of the club for a long, long time. But Real successful heart and soul of the club. There's worse players in the whole comeback oh, round. I'm going to go in the middle somewhere. I, he's not in the worst 20 game players. Definitely not in the worst 300 game players. And he's also not the heart and soul. Not the worst. Would be better than him that's played 300 games? Uh, worse than him that's played 300 games? Drew Petri. Drew Petri, mate. Gun. Took North Melbourne two prelims. <laughs> hasn't played a prelim. Ooh, I don't know if I... <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Go on, I draw the line. It's been lost. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got nothing else to say. Um, I'll just, I'll just let, that's Paddy's opinion. and uh, I don't respect it, but I'll, I'll let it go. I'll come around with another two more that are worse. Definitely far worse than Kate Sifton. Chris Maston from <coughs> West Coast. He was a number three draft pick, so he's just about the worst on the list for where he got drafted and the talent he was supposed to have. He was really, really ordinary. And I, it hurts me to say this because I did love him when he played the big source merit from Brisbane. Oh. 200 plus games. Unfortunately, <laughs> look, he weren't much shot sort, big fan, but just not that great ability-wise. But you had a crack and that's, that's my list. I like that, Frank. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for on this week's post-game spray. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week. Cheers, guys.